Hello, this is Lorenzo Della Foresta, and I'm the lead pastor at River's Edge. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us. I hope this talk inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Today is the continuation of a spiritual conversation that has been taking place between you and Jesus. I'm certain that you'll be blessed by His Word, and I believe that God has great things in store for you because you already belong. Enjoy the message. So there's an understanding that confidence can sometimes be mistaken for arrogance. Sometimes when we see a person who's confident in themselves, we say, well, look at how full of themselves they are. Maybe you want to say they're full of something else, but we usually say, look at how full of themselves they are, full of hot air. They come across as someone that you don't really want to have a relationship with, someone that you just kind of like, ah, this is not the kind of person, you know, that we're drawn to. And the truth is, is that confidence is important. We all want to be more confident, but I think that we're all drawn by humility. I think when we see someone who's humble and approachable, we kind of put those things together to mean that this is a person that we want to spend more time with. And there was something about Jesus that brought this sense of humility wherever he went. There was no arrogance that could be found in him. He was a man who was void of pride, and it was someone who didn't think of himself. He put others before himself all the time. In fact, that's why he was often criticized, because he went to people and he went to places and he sat down and had conversations and meals with individuals that everybody else stayed away from. And those things didn't matter to him. He was a radical in every sense of the word, and he even took the barriers that women had and removed them. He allowed them to become his disciples. He saw them equal as men in his own eyes. And he taught them directly. He didn't tell them to go and learn from their husbands or that they couldn't follow him and sit at his feet and learn in the presence of other men. He allowed them to be equals. When Jesus did all these things, he revolutionized the way we understood what our relationship with God would look like. And he changed the way personal direction and wholeness was understood. Now today when we think of confidence, we think of things that, well, are there as a result of being talented, of being successful, of having knowledge that other people don't possess. Like, we know how to not just answer questions, we have the right questions to even ask. There's something that commands presence that we have wherever we go. And, and, and when we have that confidence, it seems that people are drawn to it. They may not want to be, but they can't help but look at it and recognize it when they see it. And so a lot of people in this world aim for a certain type of confidence. A confidence that eludes a certain measure of influence and power. And when we see it, we know that this is a person that should be paid attention to. We may then discover there's not much there, there isn't a lot of substance, but in the moment in which they walk into a room, they do it with such confidence that you can't help but stop what you're doing and look at them. And it isn't always because they're the most attractive person in the room, it's just simply that they're the most confident. 
Now, when we look to experts, and they say, you know, there are certain things that we can all do to, let's say, improve or build upon our confidence. And maybe some of these things might be helpful to you. And I think that they can be, because I think that not everyone in this room understands their self-worth. And, not a, and many of us don't have the right understanding of what it looks like to have a self-love and a right and a correct self-image of the way that God actually sees us. And so Paul was one of those people who was confused by this. And so when we look at experts and what they say, well, they say that if you want to build your confidence, one of the first things that you have to do is you have to not just start things, you have to finish them. You've got to be someone who gets things done because confidence is going to be built upon accomplishment. Sometimes accomplishment can come from just cleaning your kitchen. Isn't that true? Right? You just, you, you let it go for way too long. You know you have. Or maybe you're just like, you know, threw some dirty clothes in the hamper and now you're out of the clothes that you need. So you go back into the hamper. There's that walk of shame into the laundry bin to put something on that you know you should not, but you don't have any choice. Sometimes getting the laundry done is just the accomplishment that you want to have. Well, you want to monitor the progress on your goals, right? I mean, we all have some goals. And, and, and what people say is it really important is that sometimes when you miss the big ones, like you feel like they're too far away, it's too hard to see the accomplishment of those ones. Well, monitor your progress, track the goals that you do have, but break them down into smaller goals. And those smaller goals can lead you to fulfilling your large goal. So the smaller ones lead to the big ones. Do the right thing and then always live by your value system. And sometimes when we don't know what our value system is, well, we're going to have some pretty problematic decisions that are going to derail us on the daily. But when you have a moral compass, when you have a value system, you can always revert back to a standard that is higher even than your own. And, and what has always helped me is to have a standard that is laid out for me in Scripture. When I go to that standard, then my standard has to meet God's standard. But if I live by my standard, my standard can be sometimes quite low. And depending on how I'm feeling, it can get even lower. And depending on what I really want, it, it can go even lower than that. And, and depending on the fact that I, in that moment, have like zero confidence in being able to stand by what I actually believe, it may be so low that I don't even see it anymore and I just go ahead and do the very thing that I know I shouldn't be doing. And so it's very important for us to always have that standard so we know, hey, this is not something that I'm going to compromise on. And it's going to build our confidence. Look, I don't know about you, but I have, probably don't see it, and thank you for not noticing, but I put on weight uh, during this pandemic. I have, I have worked harder, but I have somehow done less. I don't know how that's possible. <laughs> I am more tired now than I've ever been in the history of my life, and uh, I'm just like way too heavy for my, my body, my height, my frame. 
and I, I have to lose weight. And one of the things that I have found has been extremely difficult to stick to has been exercise. Anybody else? Is it just me? Okay, I guess it is. I'm the, I'm the lazy one up here. Shame. More shame on me. But... But we know that, that exercise improves health, doesn't it? it? It improves, it says, our memory, like our ability to retain things, our focus. It even deals with stress, and it can even have the power to lift someone out of depression. And, and so when we think about how important it is to keep our body active, it's, it's one of the principles in the scriptures that we have to take care of the temple of the Holy Spirit. We have to do more to take care of this so that we can not only live in a manner that is pleasing to God, but in a manner that enables us to move about this world more confidently for the glory of God. And so it isn't just about exercise, but it's about being fearless. And we don't want to join the chorus of doubters, and there's many that are in our lives. I mean, for all the times that I've heard you're not going to be able to do this. It's not going to happen. You're not going to succeed. I mean, I, I have filled graves with those people in my life. I have, I have fearlessly followed my God wherever it is that he has led me. And, and I have left the doubters behind. It doesn't matter to me what other people are saying. It matters most what God is telling me. And you need to live like that. You need to remember that. Say, God, I don't want to listen to the voices in my head or the voices in this world. I don't want to listen to the voice of Satan. I want to listen to your voice. And so what are you telling me I can and cannot do? You give me the confidence and the fearlessness that I need to go out. And, and when God gives that to you, I'm telling you, there is no one and nothing that can derail that. Maybe for a moment it can. Maybe for a moment it can challenge you. And maybe for a moment you'll end up under a tree like Elijah and want to die. But then God will come and he will feed you. He will nourish you. He will give you the direction that you need to go. And when you get there, he will reveal himself to you in a new way, in a powerful way that you have not seen before. That's his promise. And so we have to be fearless. We also have to stand up for ourselves as well as follow through with regularity. I want you to also think about the long-term gain and avoid the short-term pain. I want you to not care at all what others think because if you do, then the world won't change otherwise. I want you to do what makes you happy, what brings you pleasure in this life that doesn't dishonor you, God, and others. And I want you to create a space for it. Create the spaces for those things that you know bring you joy. And when you do these things, it will, it will, it will bring with it a newfound confidence. And would you be open enough to consider that Paul has something to teach us today about that? See, the Bible tells us that in the book of Philippians in chapter 3, that Paul had many reasons to be confident. In fact, he says that he had this false confidence in himself and he had it also in his birth, right? And he had it in his personal achievements. Let me just list some of those. And they're found in chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. If you want to take a look at it later. 
But in his birthright, he says that he had the outward marks of religion because he was circumcised on the eighth day. He says that he had a national privilege, that, that the people of Israel were his people, that he knew that God was his God. He had a family background, that he was from the tribe of Benjamin, and that he had also a racial purity because he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And so when he considered all of these things, he says, from birth, this is who I am. And he says, from birth, this is what gave me confidence. From birth, this is what made me confident in myself. And then he talks about his personal achievements. And then he goes into verses 5 and 8, and he says that he was so religious that in regard to the law, he was a Pharisee. And that he was also part of the Sanhedrin. Seventy of the most special people who among the Pharisees were chosen to be a part of a council, he said that he was the chief of them that he had such power and influence among them, that he had such influence that in theory, he says, and in practice, he believed he had the right to not only persecute all Christians, but the church itself. And he went about doing exactly that. And he killed many of the people he would one day then lead through their families, through their sons and daughters through their uncles and nieces and grandparents. And imagine that he had to be received into a community of faith that he had devastated for, a, for years until God got a hold of him. Paul was the kind of person, when he looked back on his life, he says, I led such an exemplary life. I led such a religious life. I was so legalistic. I was so righteous that I saw myself as faultless. As far as Paul was concerned, he was never breaking God's rules. He never broke his laws. He lived up to them. He not only observed the 10, but he observed the 6,000 that were created to describe the 10. This is how he was confident in his birthright and he was confident in his personal accomplishments. Now, all of this happens before Paul has a dramatic experience on the road to Damascus where he has an encounter with Jesus, where Jesus blinds him from his glory and then sends him to a Gentile who's the only one who can heal him. And in this process, Paul begins to understand that God isn't just his God, but it's everyone's God, and that there's people everywhere who have a relationship with him. In fact, there are people who have even the ability to heal someone's sight, and they're not even from the right tribes. And it totally transforms Paul's understanding of what it's like to have confidence in this world. And he meets someone who not only heals him, but then introduces him to Jesus in a way that he had never thought possible. Paul is so distraught after this experience that he actually leaves the Sanhedrin. He leaves his life as a Pharisee, and he goes out into the desert, and he goes into a personal spiritual quest to gain his own confidence because now Jesus, of course, is dead, so he cannot be instructed by Jesus. So the Bible tells us that he goes out and he goes out to have an experience of his own. 
And that during this time, Jesus, in person, begins to teach Paul and have in him a transformative effect to the point where Paul, when he comes back to the people that he had been persecuting, no one believes that he is a follower of Jesus. And they don't want him, let him into the community. Except for a guy by the name of Barnabas who had confidence, not only in himself, but in the power that is God, to say, if God can change me, he can change Paul. And who am I to not believe his story? And Barnabas makes it possible for Peter and others to be convinced that Paul is indeed a follower of Jesus. And so they let him into the community. And then all of a sudden, Paul begins to emerge to become one of the leaders. Not the leader, but one of them. And Paul went from being the guy and the leader to now being one of them and submits himself to the authority of others. And during all of this, you would think that maybe his confidence would take a hit, but it doesn't. It begins to flourish like never before. And Paul becomes even more effective than he ever could be because when you humble yourself, it gives God the opportunity to exalt yourself. And Paul did something extraordinary. He went into a place where he was hated, where he would be treated as nothing and had to prove himself once again. He wouldn't be welcomed as a hero. He wouldn't be welcomed as a liberator. He would only be seen as someone who was still in everyone's eyes, a murderer who came to Jesus. Now, sometimes you have a reputation, you know, and it's hard to shake that. You know, sometimes it's hard to, to let go of that. And, you know, it's, it's like kind of running into people at a high school reunion. Everyone kind of thinks of you the way that they knew you back in 1986. You know what I mean? Oh, sorry, that's my high school. Sorry. Uh, but, but that's kind of what it's like, you know. When I went back, to, everyone was expecting me to be the same Zoe that I was when I was in high school. And then I'm like, no, I'm actually, I'm not that same guy. I'm like, what? What do you mean? What do you do for a living now? Oh, well, I'm, I do this thing. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. I'm like, ah, you know, I talk, explain stuff, you know, from ancient texts. Yeah. You're what? I don't, I don't understand. You're a scholar? What are you? Yeah, I, I actually was a scholar. But yeah, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm part of a community of faith. And they're like, what? This doesn't make any sense. This doesn't track. Like, how did that guy become this guy? How did that guy do those things and now you're doing this? Imagine Paul being the murderer of your sons and daughters and then coming into the room. And instead of being executed, you have to lay your hands on him and pray and ask God to restore his confidence so he can go out into the world and change it. Come on. It's nuts, right? And God puts us sometimes in, in, in situations and in circumstances so that we will understand that it, it's not what was before that matters as much as what is now, but what was before matters 
and it's important, and it's a part of that story of what it means to be who you are today and what it is that you're going to be able to do in the days to come. Now, Paul, before his conversion, he had no problems of, of conscience uh, or of inner conflict, but now he's, he's, he's tremendously conflicted. He, his confidence is shot, and, and when he, he encounters Jesus, he says, this is when I truly began to understand confidence. So in Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to read these verses to you. It starts at verse 7, and verse 7 says, I once thought these things were valuable. He says, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, because his, for his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. And so in verses 7 and 8, these verses, we see that he says something really important. If we can go back to verses 7 and 8, you're going to see verse 7. He uses a word there called worthless. And then in, in verse 8, it says it again. Everything else is worthless. And then we get to this word at the very end, and it's called counting it all as. And then the word there is garbage. Now, the original word in the original text is actually a word called skubala. It's spelled S-K-U-B-A-L-A. And skubala means human excrement. Skubala means crap. It's dung. That's what skubala is. And what Paul is saying, and it's the only time you're going to find a word like this in the scriptures, but it's cool that it's there. It doesn't justify saying it. I'm just saying... He wants us to see that it's there because he wants to shock us and to help us understand something really, really important. He says that when I compare all of my birthright and personal accomplishments and everything that I thought I needed to bring me confidence in this world, I count all of that skubala. That's what it is. All of it is that. Now, why would he get to that point? Like, why would he speak of it in this manner? Well, there's something that I wanted to share with you, and if you don't mind, and I don't do this often, but I wanted to de describe something historical, okay? Let, let my master's degree help us a little bit today. Is that okay? Let me, let me just, like, go back a little bit, you know, and let me tell you something really cool. And, and in terms of a historical description, Josephus, who was an incredible historian of his time. He spoke of Jesus and recorded history at that time. And Joseph is, is a guy that describes the conditions within the walls of Jerusalem during the final siege of the Romans in the Jewish war. And, and he does something there. He wants to himself react to the people not understanding what their reaction to be to the siege. And so then he writes this. He says, The corpses of the lower classes were thrown out through the gates, amounted in all to 600,000. Of the rest, it was impossible to discover the number. They added that when strength failed them to carry out the poor, they piled the bodies in the largest mansions and just shut them up. 
and also that a measure of corn had been sold for a talent, and that, that talent was one year's wages. And that later, when it was no longer possible to gather herbs, the city being all walled in, some were, listen to this, reduced to such straits that they searched the sewers and for old cow dung and ate the offal therefrom. And what once would have disgusted them to look at had now become food. And so they were not only looking for food in cow dung, they were looking for it in human excrement. That's how bad it was. So when we read this word skubala, Paul is saying, hey, we know what this means. This means that you are willing to survive to the point where you will do just about anything. And so when Josephus uses this word, everyone knew that it would cause shockwaves in the reader. And Paul does the exact same thing. He wants to cause the same kind of shockwave in everyone else. And he wants them to understand that if he was to compare what Christ has to offer and what we can gain in confidence from the things of this world on our own, it's skubala. And Paul makes this point because he wants us to understand that he now has a better understanding of righteousness than he ever had in his life. And in Philippians chapter 3 and in verse 9, I want us to look at this word because these words help us to gather information from what Paul is now about to tell us. And he says, I now understand what it is to become one with him, one with God. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And so this dependence on faith, Paul is saying, comes and leads from the same place. It comes from God and it leads us to God. So when we think of righteousness, Paul says righteousness is something that I cannot bring into my life. And just in case we're confused by this word called righteousness, it means a right relationship with God. It's one word to describe a right relationship with God, which then leads to real confidence. And so when we think of righteousness, Paul is saying it is from God. It is made possible through Jesus Christ on the cross. It gives confidence in the present and it gives confidence in the future. And we receive it by faith. Listen, right now, I don't know what your level of confidence is, but what Paul is saying is that God has an immeasurable measure of it that he wants to give you right now for your life. That anything that you think that is going to give you the confidence that you need, Paul is saying all of that is skubala. None of that matters. None of it has any worth. None of it can do for you what God can. 
And so if you will turn your back on everything that is Skubala and turn your attention to everything that is Jesus and ask God to give you his measure of confidence, the confidence that he has in abundance to give you just like he gave to Paul to help him differentiate between those two, he was able to then look at everything else very differently and to understand their true value and their true worth and then look to God, look to Jesus and say, I now understand where my new confidence can come from and he turned his attention to God and he says not only is this better than anything in my past but it is everything that I need in my present and everything that it will direct me towards in my future I want your confidence God because everything else is scubala can we say amen to that God bless you you know, when we think of the scriptures, we have to understand that you can't just look at one book and one passage and think that's disjointed from everything else. And that's why this passage in 2 Corinthians helps us to connect it, helps us to make sense of it. In 2 Corinthians 5, 6, it says, so we are always confident. Can you imagine that? Always confident. That even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home, but we are with the Lord. Meaning that no matter where we are in life, no matter what we're doing, that confidence comes with us. It's always with us. And it's a confidence that God has given us. And Ephesians 3.12 says, Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now boldly and confidently go into the presence of God. We don't have to be afraid to go in and ask. Solomon asked for wisdom. Hey, right now, let's ask for confidence. Amen? Let's go in and ask for that confidence, his confidence that leads to righteousness. His righteousness, which transforms us and the lives of those around us. Well, God bless you. I hope that blesses you and encourages you. Can we pray together? Father, I thank you for this word for this word of confidence that you have given us today and for this understanding that you have revealed through the life of Paul and through the personal direction that you have given him and for how you brought wholeness into his life and how you're bringing it into ours. Lord, thank you for all that you have done and all that you are about to do for each and every one of us. And I pray, God, that you would give us a measure of confidence that overflows and leads to righteousness for you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the River's Edge podcast. I encourage you to take the message you have just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the work that only he can do. A heartfelt thank you to all those that generously give to River's Edge and make this podcast possible. You too can be a part of spreading this message and creating life change all over the world by going to riversedge.life slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Thanks again for listening and God bless you immensely.